My name is Wayne Hoffrichter, owner and operator of Hoffrichter Farms in Shirts, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So great to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, this is our final show from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans. But we have done lots of interviews here at the convention, and we'll be bringing you those stories in the coming weeks. But for today, we catch up with the president of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association to get an update on what he's been working on here at the convention. We'll have that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Keeping Texas Angora goats and sheep healthy and safe during the winter storm. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have a report from the Hill Country on Texas Ag Today. Here in the Texas High Plains, an increase in sorghum acres looks like a good possibility for the season ahead. I'm James Hunt and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about seed supply and other considerations. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas starts to prepare for spring, and we're not even into February yet. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We continue our coverage of the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans, and it appears there aren't as many Texans as we usually see at these conventions. That's thanks to the ice storm that has frozen many Texas airports and shut down flights. But we did manage to run into a few fellow Texans, like Arthur Ohl, president of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. Many of our members were not able to be here because the airports were iced in and the roads were terrible. You know, we need some precipitation. This is a hard way to get it, but we got a little bit through the ice and snow. Ull spent the day in NCBA committee meetings discussing several policy initiatives. One of those has to do with allowing more electronic payments for livestock instead of mailing checks. And that has to do with the required time period under the Packers and Stockyards Act in which a seller must pay and a buyer must be paid for livestock by what they call a covered entity. The reason for the issue is because the U.S. mail has frankly gotten so slow that it's not an effective means of payment now. And so all parts of the industry want to allow other forms of payment like ACH and wire transfers and really want to foster the use of those. So the question becomes, how do you do that? So that issue will continue to be studied by the NCBA. Livestock genetics is one of the more fascinating aspects of the cattle industry. And at the NCBA trade show here in New Orleans, 
There are several companies that serve that segment of the industry. I visited with Dylan Preston. He specializes in beef genetics for Zoetis. He told me more and more cattle producers are adopting genetic testing to improve their herds. Yeah, so I think just with the times that we're in now, it's getting more and more expensive for producers to keep animals on farm before they're really productive for the operation. So genetic testing allows producers to understand the right animals. They can see the right animals and make the decisions to be able to keep the right animals on farm that are going to improve your operation's genetics and the way you market calves and everything like that as well. And a good place to start is with testing replacement heifers. Testing replacement heifers is a great way for producers to get started genetic testing. It's not only the value of keeping the right animals around, but it's also limiting the cost that you incur by keeping the wrong ones around to see how they turn out. Genetic testing your heifers is going to kind of give you a blueprint on how those animals should perform over their lifetime without you having to stick a bunch of money in them and, and keep them on farm to see calves hit the ground, to see the genetic makeup of those calves. Check out InheritProgress.com to learn more about how genetic testing can improve your cattle herd. Texas sheep and goat raisers were working overtime this past week to keep their animals safe during the winter storm. Tom Nicoletti has the story. For today's program, we go to uh, the Texas Hill Country in Kendall County, where Melody Kniper joins us, and uh, she and her husband raise uh, Angora goats and sheep and cattle. And uh, Melody, the Angora goats and sheep, those animals uh, had to be uh, taken care of during the ice storm that uh, that occurred there from the freezing rain. Tell us uh, how all that transpired. On Tuesday, we started icing over, and we've been very fortunate in that our negative impacts of the storm have been pretty minimal for us. We haven't shorn Iangoras yet this year, so other than just a little extra feeding for energy and to keep warm, we haven't had to do too much. If they had been shorn, we would have had to, to gather them and put them under shelter and kept them under shelter for several days, which would have proven to be a pretty big hassle. With the mohair on, that uh, kept them a little warmer. Oh yeah, for sure. They've stayed warm in the pasture and, and are doing great, especially today now that everything's melting. What about your sheep? So the sheep about the same. They're even hardier than the goats are. So they've been doing great. We fed cattle, sheep, goats a little extra, giving them a little extra hay and a little extra feed for energy. You know, the more energy they have, they have to use a lot of energy to stay warm. And so we're just trying to keep them warm and healthy. One actually benefit from the ice storm for specifically goats is a lot of people have had broken branches and branches falling down. But when you have branches down in the pasture, where your goats are, they actually are more of a browsing animal. And so it's actually providing extra feed for them right now. During a time of year, they actually could really benefit from it. That is Melody Kniper. She is an Angora goat and sheep producer from the Texas Hill Country. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. An increase in sorghum acres looks like a good possibility in the Texas High Plains this year. James Hunt looks at sorghum seed availability and other things to consider when planting a sorghum crop. Farmers still have plenty of time left for making their final decisions on planting for the season ahead, but there is a fair amount of chatter out there that suggests sorghum might get more acres in our area this year. With that in mind, I wondered about the seed supply for sorghum. Did the devastating drought conditions in the Texas High Plains last year take a heavy toll on sorghum seed production? I asked Brent Bean of the Sorghum Checkoff. 
Well, that's a good question. And of course, all of the seed production that's really done for the U.S. is really done from Plainview North. So a fair amount of in that Plainview area, and then you get up into that Dumas Sunrise area is where a lot of the seed production takes place. And of course, that area was dry, dry and hot, but all of that sorghum for seed production is grown under irrigation. And so really, I think from a yield standpoint, I think it's just fine. I think you know, seed production was good. So it looks like seed supply won't be an issue. But for those looking to grow a sorghum crop for grain or silage, a real concern is that our drought is still with us. And frankly, we're not in great shape when it comes to subsoil moisture. And so going into the year, I would check that soil profile, know what you got. And certainly if you're in that region where you've only got maybe a foot of soil moisture going into planting or even you know 18 inches of soil moisture, I would certainly back off my seeding rate on sorghum. And that should help at least a little bit, you know, allowing you to you know, get to the point that you have a harvestable crop that come to fall. Of course, we also continue to hope that our drought will end soon enough to provide a boost to this year's sorghum and other crops. We'll hear more from Dr. Brent Bean of the Sorghum Checkoff in our next report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Extreme South Texas is preparing for spring as February gets underway. Jim Hearn has an update from the Rio Grande Valley. The calendar still says January, but it might as well be mid-March. After the Christmas freeze, weather has been warm and dry, and citrus trees, well, they've woken up from their short winter nap, and valley limes and lemons are blooming like crazy. Sporadic blooms already showing up in oranges and grapefruit, and all the varieties are pushing a lot of new flush. This could be a problem if valley weather should turn cold again with a light freeze or even a heavy frost. The harvest of citrus is running full speed right now, and it's almost time to start the harvest of Valencia oranges. Well, row crop producers are also gearing up to plant. Soil temperatures have been slowly climbing. Corn, milo, and cotton will be planted in that order and should be in the ground soon. Now, sugarcane, well, that's still being harvested as well. We're just about two months, though, till the end of the harvest if the weather holds. Now, a series of cold fronts have come through the extreme South Texas area. Well, it should call them cool fronts. Morning lows have only dipped into the 50s. Daytime highs, though, still in the low 80s, and that's running about 10 or 12 degrees above normal. Now, the fronts have been coming through mostly dry, and burn bans are back in effect for many of the valley counties, and a lack of water in the reservoir system has many concerned about the future for agriculture. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. For the first time in more than two decades, North Texas is getting a new state park. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more on Palo Pinto Mountains State Park coming up on Texas Ag Today. And bovine respiratory disease is the leading cause of death in newborn dairy calves. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau health plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833 833- 
TXHealth or visit 833TXHealth.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Bovine respiratory disease is the leading cause of death in newborn dairy calves. But Dr. Bob Judd says proper vaccination can be helpful. It is estimated that 16% of pre-weaned calves and 11% of weaned calves experience respiratory disease. Dr. Mark Vanderlis from Boringer Ingelheim indicates at bovineveterinarian.com that when a calf is born, the immune system is not fully developed and the calf does not have any antibodies in the blood to fight off infections. The only source of antibodies is those received from the first milk or colostrum. But these antibodies are short-lived and only last a few months. As far as vaccines, there are intranasal vaccines that can be given at three days of age, which stimulate local immunity in the form of IgA antibodies in the nasal cavity. These antibodies fight off respiratory pathogens in the airways before they reach the lungs. The immunity does not last as long with intranasal vaccines as with injectable vaccines, and the intranasal vaccine needs to be boosted in 30 days with an injectable modified live vaccine. It was previously believed calves did not require vaccine before four months of age, as it would not be effective. However, a recent study proved that calves given a respiratory syncytial virus vaccine at 30 days of age, were less likely to develop the disease than those that were unvaccinated. This study shows us that some vaccines at 30 days of age can overcome maternal antibodies, although this may not be the case with all vaccines. Dr. Vanderlis recommends giving intranasal vaccines to all newborn dairy calves that are likely to be exposed to respiratory pathogens and boosting this with an injectable vaccine at 30 to 60 days of age to stimulate a longer-lasting immunity. Contact your local bovine veterinarian for their vaccine recommendations. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. For the first time in more than two decades, North Texas is getting a new state park. Jessica Domel has the story in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas State Park System is celebrating a milestone this year, 100 years. And during this centennial celebration, it will celebrate the soft opening of the newest state park, Palo Pinto Mountain State Park in Strawn. James Adams, superintendent of the new park, says the park is just north of I-20, halfway between Fort Worth and Abilene. It's full of beautiful vistas from quests and hilltops, mesas. The centerpiece of the park is a 90-acre Tucker Lake, and a lot of our facilities kind of center around that lake. But we'll have trails that sort of radiate out from there. We'll have use for hikers, mountain bikers, equestrian users, great angling and paddling opportunities. Just a, a really beautiful site with a lot of rich history. The 4,400-plus acre park will offer visitors a variety of camping opportunities when it opens. We'll have about 25 multi-use sites that have water and electricity. And then we'll have another 10 equestrian campsites with water and electricity that also have four stalls. In addition to those, we'll have 12 walk-in sites. Those sites are sort of an intermediate site between the multi-use and the primitive. They have all the site furniture that you would see at the multi-use site, you know, picnic table, fire ring, lantern hanger, but they don't have electricity and there's water in the area, but not at every site. And you can't park at the site, but none of them are more than, you know, about a hundred yard walk. And then we'll have another 12 primitive sites that are about a two mile hike to get to them. Reservations for those sites will open up closer to the soft open date. 
A soft opening for the park is expected later this year, with a full opening expected in 2024. We'll have more on the park as we get closer to that open date. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was a good week in the cattle futures market with live cattle moving above 160, feeder cattle above 190. We'll take a look back at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The bitter cold and ice across the cattle feeding areas of the country all contributed to move cattle prices higher over the past week. On Friday, we closed out the live cattle market above 160 on every contract. February live cattle up 52 cents to end the week at 160.27. The April up 30, 164.12, while June was up 27 at 160.27. Feeder cattle strongly higher to end the week. March feed up 17 cents Friday at 186.10. The April up 55 at 190.62, with May feeders up 52 cents, 194.77. Cash fed cattle market was very slow over the past week. The live sales we saw ranged from 155 to 158, dressed sales 248 to 252. Boxed beef prices were mixed Friday, choice down 20 cents. 264.90 selects up 12 cents at 253.78. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Doug Bass, Cattleman's Columbus, my guest. Doug, I understand you had a great sale Wednesday. We had a good sale, Mr. Larry. We ended up with 716 head of cattle. We had a packed house. Great bull female sale yesterday. Good. Walk the pens with us, Doug. Yes, sir. On your weigh-in cows, thinner, lower-yielding cows bring 40 to 55. Medium flesh cows, 60 to 72. Better high-yielding cows, 75 to 92. Bulls, lower-yielding, thinner bulls, 70 to 83. Better high-yielding bulls, 88 to $1.04. We sold 90 bulls yesterday. I think our bulls averaged right at $3,500. Pairs bring from 17 to 2,900. Medium pairs bring from 1,300 1650. Better bred cows bring 1500 to 2400, and a medium type bred cows bring from 800 to 1250. Two to three weight steers bring 160 to 205, heifers 155 to two dollars. Three to four weight steers 170 to 220, heifers 160 to 195. Four to five weight steers 160 to 210, heifers 155 to 182. Six weight steers 155 to 201, heifers 145 to 165. Six to seven weight steers 150 to 176, heifers 125 to 160. Seven to eight weight steers 1. 25 to 154 heifers 115 142 and 800 to 1000 pound steers and bull yarders bring 110 to 135 heifer rats bring 108 to 125 sounds like you had a good sale what are you anticipating next go round uh, well hopefully we get a little drier weather 
I tell you what, it's gotten very wet down here. But uh, we've got some cattle out in the country. We sure need to gather and get to the barn. It's just a matter of getting them out, getting them out of the pastures right now. When you figure that out, let us know. We'll tell everybody about it. In the meantime, if there are folks out there that need them out and need them sold, how do they get a hold of you? Yes, sir. Y'all can call me on my cell, 979-877-4454. Or call us at the office, 979-732-2622. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pins. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were mixed Friday. February hogs down 32 cents, 75.02, while April hogs were up 47, 86.47. Class 3 milk prices continue to slide. February milk down 2 cents Friday, 17.91 a hundredweight. March milk down 12 at 17.67 a hundred. The cotton market finished lower. Lower outside markets pressuring cotton prices Friday. Also, last week's export sales report showed that cumulative sales for the 22-23 marketing year have reached 9.4 million bales. That is down from about 12 million a year ago. On Friday, March cotton dropped 96 points to end the week at 85.43. May cotton down 99 at 86.11, with new crop December down 85 points to finish at 85.15 cents. The corn market closed slightly higher. Very little fresh news to move the market on Friday. March corn was up two and a quarter, 6.77 and a half. May corn up one and three quarters, 6.75 and a half, with September corn up one and a half at 6.10 and a half. All of the snow and ice we've gotten across the Great Plains over the past week, bringing much-needed precipitation and moisture to the wheat crop. And that has pressured wheat prices. March Kansas City wheat dropped 7 and 3 quarters Friday, 8.73 a bushel. New crop July down 7 and 3 quarters, 8.57 and 3 quarters. Soft wheat lower also. March Chicago wheat down 4 and a quarter, 7.56 and 3 quarters. In the energy markets Friday, March natural gas down four cents at two forty. March crude oil down two sixty one at seventy three twenty seven a barrel. The financial markets were lower Friday afternoon. The Dow down one hundred twenty three points thirty three thousand nine thirty. The Nasdaq down one hundred seventy six points twelve thousand twenty four. The S and P down thirty nine at four thousand one thirty nine. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.